We're not perfect people, are we? At all. So we try to deal with those imperfections. HBO subscribers noticed this week uh, that there was an alteration in some of the movie posters that they are showing. Here's an original uh, poster of the movie called McCabe with uh, Warren Beatty and Julie Christie. You'll see uh, Warren Beatty's character there with a cigarette, but HBO altered that a little bit. So now he just like awkwardly holding his fingers up. They did the same thing with this Paul Newman movie, The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean. Here's the original, and there's the altered version. You'd think HBO could afford to do a little bit better on their Photoshopping, but uh, I'm not sure why HBO felt like they needed to do that, to alter it from the original. But it serves as an illustration for what I want to try to communicate today, and that is that I don't know about you, but I've got a cigarette in my life that I'd like to airbrush out uh, in the past and maybe in the present, too. I think you all probably do, too. And that uh, metaphorical cigarette there speaks to us about something that Carl Jung uh, coined, a psychoanalyst, the shadow self. There is not one of us that does not have a metaphorical cigarette a shadow self. Carl Jung said this, what you resist not only persists, but will grow in size. What, I, what we typically do with those metaphorical cigarettes is try to hide them. Uh, I remember trying to hide the literal cigarettes uh, back in seventh grade uh, when I was smoking those. And we do the same thing today. We try to hide those things, suppress those things, uh, deny those kinds of things. And Carl Jung, though, warns us, the more we push those things down and uh, the more we try to deny the reality of those things or the presence of those things, the stronger those metaphorical cigarettes become. What we've learned is that shadows, the shadow self, grows in the dark. It gets bigger and stronger. And it's a lesson that we learned from the movie Fantastic Mr. Fox. Fantastic Mr. Fox is the story, and I've got the book by Roald Dahl there, and uh, Wes Anderson made a movie based upon it. And the voice of Mr. Fox in the movie is George Clooney. And uh, it's a story of a fox and his wild ways of hen heckling, turkey taking, apple cider sipping, nocturnal, instinctive adventures. But then he tries to change his ways and be a responsible husband and a parent, but he, he's just too rebellious. He's too wild. And uh, he just has to act upon what he thinks his identity is, and he gets back into the thieving business from the thieving from the meanest farmers in the area. It's a story of our shadow side and what to do with our shadow side and how that shadow side seems to uh, just prop back up every once in a while. It isn't just a story telling us to be yourself. It's a story that is asking us the question, what does it mean to be yourself? Mr. Fox, having a conversation with 
Kylie. I can't remember if Kylie is a gopher or a possum. Anybody remember? Possum, thank you. Mr. Fox, why a fox? Why not a horse or a beetle or a bald eagle? I'm saying this more as like existentialism, you know? Who am I? And how can a fox ever be happy without, you'll forgive the expression, a chicken in its teeth? And Kylie answers, I don't know what you're talking about, but it sounds illegal. <laughs> Mr. Fox is just like us. There's a good side and a bad side in Mr. Fox. Now, growing up as a young adult in the church in which I grew up and in the denomination uh, that I grew up in, I was taught and I understood, and maybe I wasn't taught so much as that's just what I understood I was being taught, that I only had one side, and that was a bad side. I was born a sinner. Born in sin is what uh, preachers often said. And my very core, my very nature was that of a sinner. And that was my identity. I no longer believe that. I, I think that doesn't represent God accurately, doesn't represent God's creation that God called not just good, but very good. And I think it's uh, just, uh, I don't interpret the scripture that way. Some people do. And, uh, but I am discovering, and I'm asking myself the question, I wonder, maybe I have been a little bit uh, gone too far in my rejection of the label sinner, and maybe I need to re-embrace that sinner in a new way that is helpful, not hurtful. I learned that from my friend's uh, who are friends of Bill and Alcoholics Anonymous, the very first step toward recovery is admitting that there is a problem. Admitting that there is a shadow side. Admitting that there is a metaphorical cigarette. Can we all agree that I have a problem? Or can we all agree that we all have a problem? And we will never be healed, we will never be better, until we come to that awareness. The awareness that there is good in the worst of us, and there is bad in the best of us. Paul Gauguin, a contemporary of, of uh, good night nurse, help me Nisi, my favorite artist. Van Gogh, Vincent Van Gogh, thank you. It says, no one is good, no one is evil. Everyone is both in the same way and in different ways. Charles uh, Dickens, I mean, Oliver Twist, he wrote a Christmas Carol. Who does not love a Christmas Carol? But Charles Dickens is also an abuser of his wife. He had numerous adulterous relationships, and he abused the women in those relationships. He was a cruel, terrible dad, a good man who acted badly. Saddam Hussein, we were aware of the several 
inhumane acts that he committed. But he also was committed to the improvement of women's lives in his country of Iraq. He even made going to school mandatory, especially for girls. He wanted the girls in his country to get an education, a mixture of good and bad. And of course, Adolf Hitler, a genocidal dictator, a murderer, and an animal lover. He didn't care a lot for human beings. He did care a lot for animals, and he passed several laws that made it uh, illegal to mistreat animals and not to harm animals, uh, illegal to harm animals, especially unnecessarily. It's hard to see these individuals, especially a person like Hitler, as even possibly good. But we are all a mixture of good and bad. So the question is, are we bad people who do good things or are we good people who do bad things? Have you ever looked at someone and thought, gosh, I would never do that. You never catch me doing that. Not me. When we think about Hitler, when we think about the Holocaust, that's where I go with that. I would never do that. How would anybody ever be that inhumane? I want us to look at the pictures and see those and to feel those the best we can to feel the emotions represented on the faces of those victims of such hate. And we all would, I think, say, not us. We'd never be guilty of that. Twenty or so years ago, Denise and I and the boys went to Washington, D.C. I had a speaking engagement in Baltimore, and we, on our trip, we took a few extra days and uh, went to the uh, Holocaust Museum in D.C. And there's a section in the Holocaust Museum entitled, Some Were Neighbors, hmm, Collaboration and Complicity in the Holocaust. The exhibit shows a very disturbing fact that ordinary citizens like you and like me participated in the persecution of and the execution of Jewish people and other marginalized groups, people with special needs, people in the LGBTQ plus community. Study after study after study shows that hundreds of thousands of people before the war were just ordinary people, ordinary jobs, yet they participated in the ex attempted extermination of an entire group of people. Hannah Arendt, who is a philosopher and a Holocaust survivor, says the trouble with Eichmann was precisely that so many were like him and that many were neither perverted nor sadistic, that they were and still are terribly and terrifyingly, wow, normal, 
terrible and terrifying. The scary part is that normal people do very abnormal things. Now, Eichmann was the creator of the final solution, the plan to exterminate all the Jews, of which they were successful in six million. Research shows without a doubt how sane, normal members of a modern society committed murder on behalf of an evil empire. We say, not us. We would never do that. That's exactly what they said. Not us. But they found themselves doing that which they thought they would never do. As Paul writes in Romans 7, I find that I do what I don't want to do. Woe is me, he says. Basically, that just means, well, shit. <laughs> I find myself doing what I don't want to do. That's Philip's translation. In another section of the Holocaust Museum is this section. Americans and the Nazi threat. Well, what did the Americans have to do with the Nazi threat? We, we saved people from the Nazis. Well, come to find out, the United States could have saved a whole lot more. We could have saved thousands of Jewish people from the persecution and extermination at the hands of the Nazis. At one point, the United States turned away a ship of over 900 people. The ship was filled with Jewish peoples trying to escape from Nazi Germany. Shortly afterward, the Congress of the United States rejected a proposal to allow this is just hard to believe. They rejected a proposal to allow 20,000 Jewish children into our country. We told 20,000 children who were trying to come to freedom and come to life, no, you can't come in. The immigration issues which are in the headlines today are not new. The United States has struggled since its beginning with identity, with who's in and who's out. Ms. Emma Lazarus with her poem at the base of Lady Liberty in New York Harbor begins that poem with those powerful words, give me your tired, give me your poor. Give me your huddled masses yearning to be free. The problem is, a lot of people then and a lot of people now don't want that kind of America. They are not saying, give me your tired, give me your poor, give me your huddled masses yearning to be free. The question that is not, what are other Americans 
saying, what kind of America do other people want? You have to ask yourself today, what do you want? What kind of America are you wanting? Does that poem on the base of Lady Liberty reflect your heart? And if not, doggone it, why not? Does it reflect the heart of Jesus? Can you see Jesus saying, give me your tired, give me your poor? Yeah, that's exactly what Jesus would say. And I got to ask, why are we not saying it? Kind of makes me mad. I need a drink. It's a struggle, isn't it? I'm not wanting to get political about it, but I cannot, you can't read scripture, whether Hebrew scripture or Christian scripture, and not be challenged by the treatment of 20,000 Jewish children trying to escape or the treatment of people south of the border. You have to consider what's going on in our world in light of what God has told us and the story that we have in Hebrew and Christian scripture and in other spiritual writings. I don't have a solution. I'm just saying we're not doing it right now. 1994 was the Rwanda genocide in which 800,000 people of a minority were killed by a majority just because of racism and discrimination and prejudice because one group thought they were better than another group. And uh, Kay Warren, who is Rick Warren's wife, Rick Warren was a pastor of Saddleback Church in California, which was a Southern Baptist church, and Rick just resigned, uh, retired uh, a few months ago, and Kay Warren, his wife, went to uh, Rwanda, and this was her report. First time I visited Rwanda, I went looking for monsters. I'll be at a different category of monster, the kind that isn't relegated to B-movies. I had heard about the 1994 genocide that had left one million people dead, tortured, raped, viciously murdered, and somehow I thought... It would be easy to spot the, per the perpetrators. I naively assumed I would be able to look men and women in the eyes and tell if they had been involved. I was full of self-righteous judgment. What I found left me puzzled, confused, and ultimately frightened. Instead of finding leering, menacing creatures, I met men and women who looked and behaved a lot like me. They took care of their families, went to work, chatted with their neighbors, laughed, cried, prayed, and worshipped. Where were the monsters? Where were the evildoers capable of heinous acts? Slowly, with a deepening sense of dread, I understood the truth. There were no monsters in Rwanda, just people like you and me. Dr. James Waller, a professor of Holocaust Studies, says it is ordinary people like you and me who commit genocide and mass killings. We, in our gun-violent world, and with the mass shootings, 
the studies are trying to figure out why mental health has become one of the reasons possibly that this happens, but then the studies show that less than 4% of the mass shooters have diagnosable mental health issues. For the most part, they're just normal people like you and me. Jesus uses a picture of wheat and weeds to illustrate the presence of and the tension between good and evil. Then Jesus told them another story. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who planted good seed in his field. That night when everyone was asleep, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and then left. Later the wheat sprouted and the heads of the grain grew, but the weeds also grew. Then the man's servants came to him and said, You planted good seed in your field. Where did the weeds come from? The man answered, Well, an enemy planted weeds. The servants asked, Do you want us to pull up the weeds? Ah, No, because when you pull up the weeds, you might also pull up the wheat. Let the weeds and the wheat grow together until the harvest time. At harvest time, I'll tell the workers first, gather the weeds and tie them together to be burned. Then gather with the wheat and bring it into the barn. Hmm. For those of us who grew up in church, we're familiar with that parable. And when it was taught, either in a Sunday morning by the preacher or in a Sunday school class by the Sunday school teacher, the application was typically, go pull up the weeds. Get rid of the bad stuff. And I remember thinking, that's not what Jesus said to do, though. He said, don't pull the weeds. Leave the weeds with the weeds. So what we ended up doing, since we really honestly couldn't pull all the bad stuff out of us, we couldn't pull the weeds out of us, what we learned to do in the church is just pretend we didn't have any weeds. Let's just cover them up. So we all live in denial. We put on our happy, spiritual, holy faces. Nobody has any weeds. Nobody has a shadow side. But Jesus says something that the church didn't tell us. Let the weeds and the wheat both grow together. Listen, I don't pretend to understand that at all. I don't get that at all. I have no idea what Jesus is talking about. That just goes contrary to everything that I was ever taught. You get rid of the bad stuff in your life. I don't get it at all. It does make me, though, and allow me to be more compassionate with my weeds, more compassionate with myself, because honestly, I am a field of weeds and wheat. Oh, I've got some wheat, but I got a lot of weeds, too. You know, we're not all wheat, and we're not all weeds either. We're fields of both. I think we have to learn to accept and to forgive ourselves for the presence of the weeds with the wheat. And we have to learn and to accept and forgive the weeds in other people. And if we don't, what I've discovered is, for myself, if I don't accept the fact that there are weeds in other people, 
I become very superior. And I become very judgmental of those weeds and those people. I'm very much like a dog. My good friend Gary Gibbons sends me funny things all day long. This is one of the things he sent me. <laughs> you have to go back to uh, Inspector Clouseau movie, Pink Panther, Does Your Dog Buy? No, it's worse. See, that Corgi is judging us, isn't he? I really think Ripley was judging me today when I was praying for it. That is so much us. When we don't accept and forgive that other people have weeds, we become judgmental. Our world is filled with judgmental people because we don't recognize that everybody has weeds. So to accept this teaching, however, doesn't mean that it's okay to do bad things and to do mean things, evil and violent things. This teaching simply does this. It simply means that we have some realism about ourselves. That I have a lot of wheat in my life, but I also have some weeds in my life. And so does everybody else. We can't just pretend that it's all wheat and all good because it's just not. And an individual who doesn't see and acknowledge their shadow side won't find healing for the hurt that created that shadow side. And they won't ever change their behavior of evil and violence and harm. What's true for the individual is true for our nation. If our nation doesn't acknowledge that it's got some weeds and how we've treated people, whether they be Native Americans or African Americans, if we don't teach our children that our country has some weeds in it, then our country will never heal from the hurt. And we'll never change our behavior. We will just keep discriminating and we will keep being unjust to other people. Remember Dr. Young, if you repress it, deny it, it only grows stronger. It's not to say there's nothing, there's no wheat in our country, but to, to pretend that there are no weeds is dangerous for the present and the future of this good country. Any repair of our fractured world is going to happen only when we have the insight and the courage to own our shadow. I love Tiger Woods. I love to watch golf on Sunday afternoon because it's a perfect environment. The soft, soothing voice of the speaker just puts me to sleep on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> and I, I'm a great fan of Tiger Woods, and his failures were public. Everybody knows his shadow side. 
and his metaphorical cigarettes. But the most important thing is Tiger Woods knows his shadow side. He did the hard work of looking at his own shadow and dealing with his own weeds. And Tiger says, my failures have made me look at myself in a way I've never wanted to before. I admire that man because he looked at himself. We as an individual, we as a country have to look at ourselves. The shadow part of ourself, I want us to understand, is not in and of itself evil, but it creates an environment in which we can do evil things and not call them evil. That's why Jesus called out hypocrisy more than anything else in his ministry. See, the tendency to see the weeds or the shadow in the other, in other groups and other people and other uh, political parties in other races and other cultures and not see the weeds in ourselves just continues this path of judgmentalism and violence and a feeling of superiority over, over people. As I mentioned in the introduction to the song, uh, this Tuesday is the Feast of St. Francis, so let me close with this. Can true humility and compassion exist in our words? I like this. And in our eyes? Got the stink eye? The evil eye of somebody? Unless we know we too are capable of any act. Oh, St. Francis. The shadow self and the evil that it produces is not a welcome sign. It says, stay forever. Make yourself at home. It is a sign, though, that says, learn. What can I learn from the hurt that I experienced that created a shadow side out of which I am committing such horrible, I'm just so mean, I'm just such a jerk out of all this stuff in my shadow side, what can I learn? But when we face our shadow side and we realize that we are capable of the most horrendous of deeds, if we do that shadow work in the light of God, what it does, it announces us to us so loudly and so clearly, at precisely at the moment that you are at your worst, in the ugliest part of your soul, that you are tremendously, immensely, completely loved by God. Because love needs no reason to love. Love just loves. And love is the reason. Let's pray. God, there's a lot of food for thought that I don't even, I don't even know what I said today. I said it, and I just don't know how to understand it.
what I said. I just know God, and I want to ask you to help all of us know that I am capable of the most horrific evil. I know there are wheat, grains of wheat, but I know that there are weeds as well. Give us the courage, the insight to see the shadow and the, how that shadow was produced and the hurts and the experiences that caused that. Help us to get good therapy from good trained therapists to look at that hurt. Help us to heal from it as individuals and as a nation so we can be better. So that when we know better, we'll do better. I ask this in the name of love, in the name of Christ throughout the multiverse. Amen.